0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts.
1: Hello, Charles. How are you?
0: Fine, Andrea. How are you today?
1: Good. I think we have an interesting discussion ahead of us. Now, as I acquainted you, we received an email from a listener who lives outside the U.S. And to give context, I will read significant parts, leaving out details that would identify this person. This is how it reads. We have a different political structure with different history in my country. However, our government is increasingly pagan as in the U.S., I have been involved with a group that does Christian lobbying for many years. They seek to engage politically for the Christian voice in our culture, to influence legislation, hold back and block harmful laws, and so on. What are your thoughts on the actions in the civic square? And the person sent me a link identifying the group. The email goes on to say, my concern at present is that they reportedly are placing lobbying strategy and relational engagement in our legislatures over the preaching of the gospel while still basing actions on the truth of the gospel. It is a bit of an upset for longtime supporters. We are not certain of their strategy now, and there have been disruptions in their governing body. As an active volunteer, I'm wondering, About my personal engagement with the group. So, on the surface, the question that seems to be being asked is Do Christians fail when they use the strategies and tactics of the world rather than proceeding with the marching orders of scripture? Or another way to frame the question How do biblical ethics impact us in the work we do and the things we're involved with? So, Charles. Before we get into that, I told you I had a long introduction here. I'd like to start off with a quote from Martin Luther. This is the quote. If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking. I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefields besides is merely flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. So, Charles, again, I'm offering maybe a fourth question here. Is our listeners' question better framed, are we confessing Christ in our day-to-day life rather than merely professing Christ?
0: I think the issue, like so much else, is context. Um, Many people start off the day, whether they're going to work or not, but since, you know, we're talking about on the job or at the school or in the family, uh, I think with an implicit idea that I'm moving out in my usual neutral territory. And so, you know, Sunday's a few days away yet, and I don't need to think about the Sunday school lesson or the Bible study, or I already finished the Bible study for this morning, and now I can concentrate on, you know, watching the news broadcast and dealing with the miseries of the day, et cetera. Um, so I, I think this shows the challenge that we face in trying to order our lives and our minds to completely line up with what God's word, God's law word teaches us. Another way of saying that is the challenge of thinking God's thoughts after him. So yes, uh, you know, what what we profess, we say is supposed to have an appearance. It has to, it's supposed to have a visible nature to it. It's not just words that hang out in the air. So our Christianity, our obedience to the law word of God is not something that just shows up every now and again. It's supposed to show up in all ways and at all times. Part of the challenge we face is that we have gone so many generations away from people who've understood what that looks like that we are operating from a different paradigm, a different standpoint. And so there's ground that has to be retaken and uh, re-education Has to be uh, employed on a personal level, on a family level, and all levels, so that uh, we recognize that. uh, And again, if we're talking about the issue, say, of someone going about their day to day work and uh, day to day life, and we assume that includes some kind of job or employment, whether it's working from home or going to an office or whatever it may be, uh, that work is something that God empowered us to do and created us to do. We're part of the image that we uh image of God that we bear as human beings is that desire to do work and to work in a way that glorifies him. You know, we can enfranchise animals to do work, uh, but other than say uh, a squirrel who would gather food, maybe a few other types of animals, they're they're not really doing meaningful labor like we would think of it in a way that is dominion-oriented in particular. So um, I think that this these are some of the challenges we face in addressing the issues raised in those questions.
1: So I would go even further and say it surprises me when I hear individuals say, well, I don't have any conflict on my job. You know, everything goes really well. And yet with a lot of the people who either write into to us or people who call for advice – They're constantly challenged. Is this the right thing to do? Am I denying God if I go along with this? And I would say it's not the people who are comfortable who are actually following the Holy Spirit. It's the people who are asking the question, am I doing what glorifies God? Am I being obedient to scripture? And I do think that's the essence of the question that was sent into us because this person, could go along and continue you know participating as a volunteer and just say well, you know what a lot of people think that if we don't do it this way we won't succeed and that makes me ask the question have we a long time ago as you indicated given up on using the tactics and strategies presented in scripture or do we say well we have to use the world's tactics And rather than being faithful, we're really just being lazy or cowardly.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the crux of the problem. And maybe it would help for us to think about it this way. Uh, If we're thinking about, say, military action, where you have, uh, you know, uh, a a platoon or a brigade of soldiers or or whatever, and they have an objective to um, take control of an area or defend an area, as the case may be, well, they know what they, they need to do. They have someone who has mapped out the strategy. There are different people assigned to do certain things to ensure the victory and success of the mission and the work. Most of us don't get up every morning with that kind of an agenda, even though in one sense we should, or maybe if it's not every morning, then it, the agenda should be set for us at least once a week in which we observe the uh, the Sabbath of the Lord. Um. Some years ago, Calcedon published a book called The Church as God's Armory. I think it may still be, a li- be available. And that's a good example of the fact that, you know, whether it's daily devotions with the family or worshiping at, uh, at church on Sunday, we have a mission. You know, we're like the Blues Brothers. We want a mission, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we need to take that seriously. Because you can bet that the devil's people take that seriously, and we're living in the aftermath of the failure of a type of evangelical Christian culture that was happy to leave the mission of working to God's glory and living to God's glory to other people. And uh, sooner or later, the chickens come home to roost, and we turn around and we see all the evidences of, of a decadent evil culture before us today, and part of that is direct, is the Result of failing to live for God's glory in our day-to-day lives and, and the work we do. There's a, there's a notable scene in the early stages of the movie Chariots of Fire about uh, Eric Little, the Scottish um, Olympic runner, where um, I believe it was the man who played his father in the movie. They're sitting around a, a drawing room in Scotland and talking about just how good this man is and his, his chances of, of winning an Olympic medal for Scotland and uh, the, the the man says well you know you can glorify the lord by peeling a potato if you do it to his glory
1: yes I yes don't,
0: i don't know if that was ever said actually but the the principle is there and it's a, it's a good one
1: and interestingly enough it's not when um nobody knows who we are or there isn't something at stake when we're challenged and and so you do your devotions, you read God's word, expect to be challenged in that because we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we're in a war and there's a greater battle going on other than will we get a promotion, will we get a raise? And I think by failing to understand our place in that battle, our place in that war, it makes for people being more than willing To say, well, God wants me to provide for myself and my family. If I took a stand here or if I said no to something or I objected to how someone else was being treated at work that was, you know, consummately um, unbiblical, unjust, etc., I might lose my job. And so the thought isn't easily absorbed that says maybe that's what God wants. Maybe God wants me to take a stand and, in fact, lose my job and be a witness to other people. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case. I'm not God, so I can't say what's happening. But if that can't be the reason that this is happening to you because, well, this can't be from God because it would really mess up my life.
0: Yeah, I can think back to uh, a time long before I went to seminary where I I worked uh, a job that I'll just describe as being involved in advertising and marketing. And uh, I worked for a company that had a significant number of employees. I don't mean hundreds and hundreds, but, you know, we had a staff of about a 100 people in different departments. And one year we got a new director and he came from a background that was thoroughly pagan. And so one of the things that would be done is the, um, the people involved in the day to day work would all get the exciting privilege of going on a trip to, you know, some Mexican resort or, you know, somewhere in the Caribbean for seminars over the weekend type of thing, you know, re- renewal, a retreat sort of thing for the, for the staff and. I was newly married at the time and I had no interest whatsoever in doing that. I I mean, it was also at least attempting to be, by God's grace, a dedicated Christian. And I had a pretty good idea of what those uh, <laughs> you know um learning weekends really were all about. Maybe two hours of uh uh slideshows and PowerPoint presentations and the other ten hours were carousing and drunkenness and a whole bunch of other things I won't mention. And um as <clears throat> it turned out I had other things in, in my life by God's grace and other callings, but I mean the point was if you were going to go anywhere in the company, you had to participate. You were expected to go on these trips and uh, and be involved in them. And so, yeah, that's a that's a challenge that a person faces about where's the rubber going to meet the road. You know, is the are the chips going to be down, and you're going to have to make a decision and trust the Lord. If you're going to really make a stand for him, so you have those kind of things in terms of employment where there are direct moral conflicts with living a consistently biblical life in the areas, you know, of personal morality. If I can use that phrase- phraseology, but I think the the on the surf on the above that is the bigger idea, the more looming issue in that. Places where we may employed, be employed um, or go to school or whatever it may be, the powers that be in those places, their attitude is that, you know, you are not beholden to anyone other than the boss of this company or the the board or whatever it may be. And you certainly you can have your own private religious beliefs. But don't let that interfere with what we're trying to do with our, with our objectives in terms of sales or construction or engineering or whatever, whatever. So.
1: Right. And I think your point is well taken. The enemies of God never fail to proselytize or demand a hearing. They don't couch it in, I want you to embrace my religious views, but humanism is a religious view. It's the second oldest religion. If you're going to look at it after the biblical faith that was imparted by God to Adam and Eve. So. We're at a point now where people are afraid to talk about religion or politics, not because the enemies of God don't, it's that believers have been, in a lot of cases, silenced. So um instead of standing ground and challenging the status quo, too many think that their options are only two, shut up and do what you're told, or leave because you cannot work at a place such as this. Now, the problem with both of those without being directed by the Holy Spirit is that you give ground where you don't have to. I remember one time my husband was working at a car dealership, and the person uh, who was his boss was requiring him to lie, and he made it clear that He actually took the job at this dealership because he understood that there would not be a requirement to lie. And this man was pushing the point. And so my husband quit because he couldn't do it. And then he he had a conversation with Dr. Rush Dooney and Dr. Rush Dooney said, why did you quit? Were they saying you had to quit? And he said, no, but I, I, you know, I didn't want to be involved with that. He said, you should hold your ground and say, no, I won't let them fire you. But don't Mm. go ahead and quit. Don't just leave because sinful people are acting sinfully. And, and that's what I mean by putting ourselves in the context of the greater battle, right? I know that the, the reason that my husband felt like he should quit wasn't for bad reasons, but it wasn't with a cognizance that said, you know what? Um, they may get like, they may get rid of me, which I don't think they would have because Anybody who's spent time at a car dealership knows that, um, you know, the fact that people might misrepresent something is not so unusual. So as long as you were going to stay in that business, you had to stand for what it meant to be faithful to God first and then do your job secondly. But we're at a point now, Charles, where people are well aware that, you know, we might have to use the correct pronouns or I don't want to make a blanket statement that says this behavior or this lifestyle is wrong, right? In other words, we've been, I don't want to call it evangelizing because it's certainly not good news, but we've been convinced to believe that our witness will be greater if we don't give our witness.
0: Yeah, and I've been thinking a lot lately because of some of the material in the sermons I've been preaching, and just because of the general drift of our society in these days, of the circumstance in the early chapters of the book of Daniel, and where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told they will have to do this thing of worshiping a false idol, you know, and their staunch refusal to do that. Um, we may have referenced this previously, uh, you know, this. May have to serve as an example for it. I mean, it should any, under any circumstance, but you know, we will not bow down to your idols. We will not worship the image. You know, you throw us in the fiery furnace. And even if we are burned alive, it doesn't matter. You know, this is the right thing for us to do. And this, I mean, nobody wants to do that. But if the issue is forced, whether it's lying on the job, um, you know, getting involved in something that compromises you morally, um, uh, in anything that does not glorify the Lord, then you have to make that stand and do it with the awareness that you may have to suffer on one level, but on the other, uh, the Lord will guide you and give you something much better on the other side. So, I mean, part of the thing, too, that people need to be um wise concerning these things, for example, is, you know, it, it may be it, – it inevitably will be just – Excuse me. It will inevitably be much more than, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to fudge the truth on this particular thing at my job for the benefit of the company or because my immediate supervisor wants me to do it or whatever the case may be. But see what you don't think about if you go down that path is the, the situation that you've created for yourself where that supervisor, that boss, those coworkers can come to you at another point and say, you remember about a year ago when we did this X, Y, or Z? Yeah, I remember that. Well, I'd hate for that to get out. I'd hate for that to be come known. So maybe you better just line up and do this other thing we want you to do now.
1: Right, right. So that's, I think, what Martin Luther's quote is all about. If you flinch at the point you're being confronted by truth as opposed to falsehood by doing it God's way or not, then it becomes an empty profession because you're not willing to get into the lion's den or get into that fiery furnace. You know, it's amazing to me how every Sunday school we'll teach about Daniel and the lion's den and we'll have the little pictures on the wall of the men in the furnace and Jesus being there among them. But let's face it, Charles, most people don't want to go into the den or the furnace and they spend a good bit of time Avoiding it, not by, you know, walking the straight and narrow, but by giving, you know, a, a wider road saying, you know what? I'm doing this for the Lord because it'll, I'll be able to continue to support my family or I'll be able to advance in terms of my reputation. And regardless of whether or not somebody will come back and bribe you, which is what, um, you're talking about or, uh, you know, basically put you in a position where if you talk, you have a whole lot more to lose than we do. Right. Is that losing sight of, okay, your immediate supervisor tells you to do this. But what does God tell you to do? And now we're back to if you don't know the law of God, if you don't know how it applies in your the sphere of influence or your profession or anything like that, you better find out. Because there is someone who's looking at noting everything you say and do and the decisions you make. So, yes, salvation doesn't come by earning it. That's true. But we're told that what we do has a lot to do with our sanctification in terms of we're being drawn closer to God. And so drawing closer to God sometimes means, and often does, moving further away from the world.
0: Yeah, and I think one way that the world has influenced us in this area, and I think this is one of the, as I was trying to say earlier, one of the foundational issues or problems at the root of, uh, at least part of the question, is the views that we have, uh, in this case of work or employment, about where exactly this fits into our lives and in the greater scheme of things. You know, uh, Dr. Rustuni, in one of his uh, chapters in the second volume of the Institutes of Biblical Law, a chapter called Inheritance and Work, he points out that uh, the influence of ancient paganism is one that developed an idea of the denigration of physical work. And this was, and admittedly to our more uh, academically inclined listeners, I'm I'm glossing over many, many areas of uh, intellectual and philosophical understanding. But one of the ways that that influence came into our society was through medieval philosophy and medieval religion. So, for example, in the medieval world, largely, uh, if you were the least bit pious – If you were inclined to go to mass every day and you were just a very pious praying the rosary and all this sort of thing, well, then your calling in life is to go to seminary or a convent or a monastery, uh, because that's the spiritual world. If you weren't interested in those things, well, you go to church twice a year, if that much, but your job is that of a carpenter or a cobbler or... um, you know, a, a raiser of cattle, or you know, a tanner, whatever it may be. That's the secular world. That's where your calling is. And one of the great blessings of the Reformation and the return to uh, biblical religion is the recognition that every area of life is God's area, and there is no sacred secular distinction in that medieval Neoplatonic pagan sense. And that's why in the movie, the guy could rightly say, "You can praise." the Lord by peeling a, a potato, if you do it to his glory. So it gets right back to this issue about what is the foundational motivation for what we, we do in life, and um, I think that that has carried on, and Dr. Rastuni points this out in the article, that, you know, the, the attitude going into the mid and and the late 20th century, maybe even earlier, but definitely in that, is that, you know, your your goal in life is to get away from work, physical labor in particular, if you possibly can. And we sort of maybe touched on this, uh, a week or two ago in our discussion about the issue of, uh, retirement. Because, you know, that's an area where, you know, it's, it's not much fun and all this sort of thing. But again, this is, I think, the pernicious influence of a pagan way of thinking. And in this article, in this chapter, excuse me, Dr. Rush quotes another author, and I just want to share that with our, with our listeners right now concerning this, uh, he says, according to this author in the Bible, quote, labor was considered so much a part of the cosmic order that God himself is depicted as a worker. He founded the earth and the heavens are his, his handiwork. Uh, he is the fashioner of everything. Man is clay. God, the potter. He worked six days at creating the world. And uh, Dr. Rustini goes on to make the point, as I alluded earlier, That we, being created in God's image, are created with that orientation specifically for work toward the dominion mandate of God in the world that he placed us in as his vice regents. Um, There's no other living creature that has that kind of orientation. So what we are dealing with in our time are people who have a completely different orientation. And their highest aspirations in life are looking to be more and more spending time playing video games and living in a virtual world where there really is no such thing as uh, physical labor and meaningful labor.
1: And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I repeatedly tell those women who are new moms who come to me for advice and counsel is that do not discourage your children who want to help. Yes. If you have a child who wants to help you wash the clothes or fold the clothes or whatever, it's going to take a little bit more time for you to do it. You might have to rewash some clothes depending on how they fold them or drop them or put them away. But there's that natural desire to work and participate that you spoke of. And if you don't give your children work and require that they be productive for six days, then how do your children rest? How do your children have a Sabbath? Too often what we do is say, it'd be just too much trouble to train this person or have this person do it, or my standards are so high that I can't stand to have a smudge on this or a stain that didn't come out. But what you're teaching your children by telling them, go play, go play, go occupy yourself, or you give them a device, or you plant them in front of a television, you're basically saying, the rest of us have to work, but you know what? You don't have to. So now at the point at which you require them to work, they're like, why should I have to work? A lot of mothers were like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it. What is the Sabbath for my children? A lot of them were saying, oh, I was making their Sabbath my Sabbath that I don't have to do stuff, right? But it's very important that children know their place in the family and their place before God, because that commandment doesn't just kick in when you're 12 or you're 18 or you're 21.
0: Well, we're living in the uh, aftermath of a number of different things. I, I referenced something earlier, but one of the things I think that directly impacts what you just referred to is, you know, moving into the early and into the mid-20th century and um, the, the the generation called the baby boomers, where you suddenly had large numbers of people because of the nature of the economy at the time, but also because of the nature of advertising and business practices. Um, people were made to uh, – well, let me rephrase that. Uh, people were persuaded – or manipulated into believing that their greatest goal was to accumulate physical comfort and physical things. And so the purpose of work was to accomplish that. And it it, it people really no longer needed to go out and farm their own uh, crops, uh raise and slaughter their own uh, livestock. But that was all being done somewhere else. You know, we've all heard, I suspect, the the, the sad examples of people who In in our time, genuinely think that things like tomatoes and apples actually come from a grocery store. That's where they Mm -hmm. originate, right? right. And and how can you blame them from thinking that way if they've never known any different? But. Um, you know, growing up in that kind of atmosphere, people are made to see that okay. Well, my main goal is to okay. The, I'm I'm in school, so I need to graduate from high school. But in the meantime, I can buy the latest music download and listen to this particular group or subscribe to this particular video series. You know, these are all quote unquote leisure type activities uh, that really don't contribute a, a thing to the advancement of God's kingdom. And frankly, they don't contribute to personal well-being as creatures made in God's image. And that's why we have, I think, such fundamental discomfort and dis-ease in so many people today because people are at war with themselves because they are violating the standard that God built into them and engaging in meaningful activity, and they no longer understand what those things are. I, I want to tell you a story, if I may, of sure. something, something that I just saw a few days ago online. It was a, it was a, a remarkably arresting video. And it was uh, a, a girl, a, a woman, I'd say in her late teens or early twenties. And she was describing something that happened in a class that she was in. I gathered in high school or college. I don't know which, but it was a biology class. And she said, you know, uh, we'd been going to this class, but one day we showed up and all the chairs had been put in a circle. And we were like, what is this all about? And so the teacher said, come in and sit down. But they said, we noticed, she noticed, her friends noticed the attitude and the facial appearance of the teacher was very stern and very grave. And so everyone sat down. And after one, everyone sat down and got quiet, he brought out a fish bowl full of water in which was a goldfish. And he, nobody said a word. He put the goldfish on a little table in the center of the room. He reached in with his hand, took the goldfish out, and put it on the edge of the table outside the water. And then he looked at everybody, and he said, according to her, I'm going outside right now. Anyone who moves, anyone who gets up out of their seat will fail this course. And he left. And she said, we looked at he. all. We were just stunned by this turn of events and now here's this poor fish flapping up and down on this table obviously in the death throes and everybody was just torn but what we, they didn't know what to do and finally she said one of her classmates uh, another girl stood up and I won't use the language she used but she basically said to heck with this and she went over and grabbed the, the goldfish and put it back in the water after about five minutes at that point the teacher came in she said and he, he said to them I hope this has been a lesson as to what has happened to you all. And she said, she said, I, I," and she was actually in tears recounting the story. And she said, "I, I will never forget this. And she said, I made up my mind right there. I will never again put up with people doing wrong things. I will never accept things that are wrong. And that's kind of where it ended. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's a remarkable story. But, you you know, the the question is screaming to be asked, by what standard are you judging what is wrong? So I I think in terms of the, the issue we're dealing with, it's the same thing. You know, by what standard do we judge what is productive work? How do we glorify God when we go to the office? Again, we're dealing with generations of people who have never been taught what that looks like. So this is why Christian reconstruction is so vital, and why individually in our families and our churches, we must start somewhere to make a stand within ourselves and for these values, because the, the pagan world is not letting up. And just like our brothers and sisters in uh, the earliest days of the Christian movement, they faced the same challenge. And by God's grace, they were largely successful within their own communities of raising up a standard of biblical truth and biblical practice that eventually uh, displaced the ancient paganism for the most part.
1: Right. It, what's the expression? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, the seed yes. of Christendom. So again, we'll talk about these people, how wonderful they were, but we don't want to always be like them. And so um another thing that has become kind of a standard thing in our house is that you know, understandably, my husband wants to provide, he wants to provide for his family, always has, wants to be able to use our resources and our tithes to further the kingdom. But there are times where it's very easy for him, and I imagine this is true for many men in their professions, to get very myopic, very nearsighted. They don't get to see the bigger picture, and I would always remind him Mr. So-and-so, depending on the person who owned the dealership, may sign your checks, but he's not your employer. God's your employer. So what if we looked at it from that point of view? No matter what our job is, no matter what our calling is, no matter where we are in life, are we student? Are we person who owns his or her own business? Wherever we are, yes, that's what we do. That's where we are in terms of the greater calling of the kingdom. And if we're not consciously saying what I do on a day to day basis honors God, furthers the kingdom is done by faith. Because, you know, the scripture does say anything not done in faith is sin. So whoa, now you got to ask yourself the question. Have I examined my life to say, is this being done of faith or is this being done? For personal gain, is this being done because I don't want to rock the boat? And especially coming out of the whole COVID, um, debacle, how many people failed other people because the, and, and I'm talking about even people within the church who put their priorities over the needs of others or the requirements of God.
0: Yes. And another issue that is sometimes brought up when we talk about these things is the um, the cursing of covenant-breaking man in the garden. Um, you know, people often say, well, you know, it isn't work under um, a curse. Cursed be the ground for thy sake. You know, yes, the fall did affect work, but it's not work that is the curse, as Dr. Rastuni pointed out. Uh, it that it, 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 Some people uh, jump to that conclusion, but it is fallen humanity's work that's under the curse, But or it was, until something happened, and that something was the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the dawn of his kingdom, where we live now, if we are in covenant with him. And you know, work is an aspect, as I said earlier, referring again to this article that Dr. Rastuni wrote, it's an aspect of our image of God uh, being created in his image. And uh, I think this is the challenge that we face is to every day consider how what we will do today in the area of our labors, whether it be household, what, uh, going to an office, going to school, how we are going to glorify God in that day. People need to think proactively, okay, I'm starting out in life, or, or maybe I'm just ending the, the the quote, productive age of my life in, in terms of what society would define it as. But what is it that's the, the priority? Is it how am I going to glorify God now in what I'm going to do? I have an opportunity to, say, take a promotion with this job, but it's going to mean my transferring to another part of the state or another part of the country. Um, how will that fit in, you know, with the greater calling that God has on our lives to glorify? And it may fit in quite well. And obviously all things are according to God's will. But too often we don't ask that first question uh, about how God's going to be glorified. It's another way of looking at that is, especially if, if it involves relocating or something. And I, it was the late Dr. J Adams. I heard point this out in a sermon one time he was preaching at a chapel service. I was in attendance and he pointed out, he said, you know, How many Christians, when they are moving to another part of the country or another part of the state, the first question they ask is, what is the Christian community like there? Are there good churches? Are there good homeschooling families? Is there a homeschool co-op there? Uh, Is is there a Christian community that I can connect with? Long before they consider the housing prices or the the cost of gasoline or or whatever it may be, that should be the the topmost priority. Yes.
1: Yes. And going back to being raised in a family, if the first time you're challenged for your faith is when you go to university or you, um, you know, get your first job, you're not going to be very practiced in it. And that's why we need to bring to bear in families the idea that we're in a war. And as my friend Dennis Peacock likes to say, there is no discharge from this war. You're not free to say, okay, Satan, you don't bother me, I won't bother you. Because Satan has no compassion and therefore sort of exists to torment the people of God. So you can't make a truce with him. And so you're in this battle. You're in this war. And if you're not ready for it, then you will become a casualty of the war rather than a soldier. Not that soldiers can't become casualties. Faithful soldiers can But if we go back to what it says in Ephesians about putting on the whole armor of God, the purpose of putting on the whole armor of God ends up with that you will be able to stand. Not necessarily win that particular battle or be acclaimed for how wonderfully you proposed and carried out your tactics and your strategy, that if we truly believe that God determines the outcome. And what we're supposed to do is be faithful, then it behooves us to know what does it mean to be faithful, how does that actually play out in the details of Scripture, and then leave the rest in God's hands. Because we're not judged because you didn't turn this country to Jesus Christ, or you didn't stop the terrible practices that are going on um, in this part of the world. It's were you faithful in what you were called to do? And that goes back to, I believe, Charles, knowing what you believe and why. And how sad is it that so many people today couldn't even tell you what it means to be a Christian objectively. All they can do is tell you what it means to them subjectively.
0: Yes, and we live in a, in a very um, anti-doctrinal age. In that it's more about the, the feeling or the experience and about the the wisdom and knowledge about what it is, as you said, what we believe and how, and even more importantly, how that applies. And I think it would be good for us to remember the paradigm that our Lord himself put into place at the very beginning. You know, when God created the world, um, he created all things, of nothing, in the space of six days and all very good, including man and woman. Right. But he didn't start out by creating um, you know uh, uh, a, a Christian denomination. He didn't start out by creating a church in the sense that we think of it today. Uh, he didn't start out by you know creating some massive ecclesiastical structure. He created a man and a woman and then a family. But the first thing that he created for our purposes was the man himself. And one of the hallmarks of what we try to um, advocate, Regarding God's law, is that the first place this applies is the self governing Christian man or woman. You know, p- people um, generalize about what we believe and what we say. Now, oh, well, you want to take over the government and impose biblical law. No, no, we want God's Holy Spirit to take over us and teach us according to his word how we are to govern ourselves according to his standard. And I think this too is another area where there has been uh, a failure of the Christian culture, because if we don't start out knowing how to govern ourselves, according to his law word, then we can't effectively apply that to the things that we set our hands to. And so this is another place where uh, we, we do have by God's mercy and grace, the ability to study, uh, to gather with like-minded believers who can encourage us through mutual accountability and, and, uh, walking together uh, to pioneer these efforts to build uh, better Christian lives that will uh, radiate out into better families and better communities and better work.
1: Yes, yes. And creating that culture that if you truly can't remain where you are because of what's being done or the purpose of the enterprise, then that's where the entrepreneurial um options are there and that you work with other Christians to create things that people need. Let's face it, Charles, there's plenty that our society needs. And if it's not coming from um, enterprises that are based self-consciously and deliberately in God's law and the furthering of the gospel to let people know, unless you repent of your sins, parentheses, breaking of God's law, There is no hope for the future. So the law and the gospel are not enemies to each other. They go hand in hand. As we like to say, there wouldn't be good news if the reality wasn't bad news first.
0: Right. And I'd just like to wind up my part of this by, as I do sometimes quoting Dr. Rushduni, from that same article on inheritance and work, he said, because work is an aspect of the image of God and man, the application of knowledge, righteousness, holiness, and dominion to actual problems and situations. Work can in the long run only prosper when it is done in obedience to his word.
1: Yes. And that chapter essay is in volume two of the institutes of biblical law. Biblical law volume one was an exposition of, the Ten Commandments, as it applies in various aspects. Volume two, subtitled Law and Society, were Rushduty's way of showing the practical nature of either situations that will show, okay, this was not done the way it was supposed to be done, or this is how it should be done, to further equip people to take the law from an understanding that they have and actually carrying it out in their life so that you can stand when the challenges of the enemies of God come at you because ultimately they can't do anything to you because you are sealed in Christ. Yes. All right. Well, listener, you know who you are. I imagine there are others who um, have similar questions and that's why we always like to get them and, You know, we get around to them eventually. Not every question is dealt with immediately, but we really think on them first to be able to provide that biblical perspective because these things are real and they're challenging. And don't feel bad, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, Charles, if you're troubled about, am I doing this right? Is this something that I need help with or I need to change my paradigm? Or do I need to walk away from something that really isn't serving the kingdom? That's really a good place to be.
0: I totally agree.
1: All right. Out of the Question podcast at gmail.com is how to reach us. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.